0: There, welcome to Media, the podcast where we talk about VCE media and media education in general. My name is Brett Lamb, and today we're talking about Australian stories. The Australian film industry is an important part of our national identity, and it's important as a nation that we see our lives and stories represented on the big screen. Today we're going to celebrate Australian stories by taking a look at the classic Australian anti-war film, *Breaker Morant. Released 38 years ago, *Breaker Morant tells the story of three Australian soldiers court-martialed in 1902 during the Boer War. Directed by Bruce Beresford, the film has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and won 10 AFI Awards, including Best Film, Best Direction, Best Leading Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography and Best Editing. It was also nominated for the 1980 Academy Award for Best Writing. Now, if you've watched Breaking Morant, we would love you to join the conversation by recording your 30-second response and sending it to brett at lessonbucket.com. We'd like to include you in future episodes that we do about Australian stories. Now, to discuss Breaker Morant, we have a wonderful panel of Year 11 media students. We are joined today by Ethan, Theo, Aria and Kaylee. Thank you so much for coming along, guys. Thank you. No problem. We're kind of forced to. but <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you are. It's wonderful. Um, now, we, we might get Ethan to start the ball rolling. Um, for people who, you know, um, maybe haven't seen the film, I strongly recommend that you go out and watch it as soon as you possibly can because this podcast discussion is going to be completely spoilerific. Ethan, tell us a little bit about the story.
1: So it's about the three lieutenants, Harry Moran, Peter Hancock and George Witten, and their trial. And basically throughout the movie it has flashbacks of what really happened. Yeah, one of the things that I like about the movie from sort of a
0: filmmaking perspective is the fact that um, you've essentially got a courtroom drama and you get these flashbacks uh, explaining how they ended up in that situation. So from a storytelling perspective, I really like that.
1: Lieutenant Thompson was charged with defending them for their charges because he thought that they didn't deserve to be killed for what they'd done.
0: Okay, so um, basically in the story, um, what they'd been court-martialed for um, was the execution of some Boer prisoners and um, also the murder of a German missionary. Uh, now, does anyone can anyone give me a little background on the Boer War? Does anyone know what's going on? There's a title card at the beginning of the film, but I got the impression when people walked out of it, they were like, what was that war? Where was it? What was happening?
1: Yeah, if you've got to watch the film, you definitely got to have a little bit of context yeah. before you go into it. Like you find yourself a bit confused at the start. Um, it's, about, it's something about Africa and colonies fighting over resources in that area. Oh, my God. So you've just
0: basically summed up the Boer War, essentially. So you had the British yeah. um, who had a colony uh, in uh, South Africa. Uh, there were also a couple of, um, I guess, Afrikaner states. So Afrikaners are the uh, the Dutch settlers of South Africa. Uh, so there was the Transvaal and the Free Orange State. And you're right, it was basically... Uh, the British trying to establish their presence there and the, I guess, the nationalistic Afrikaners are fighting against them. So why were we there?
2: Were well, we supporting the British or something? Yeah. We're part of the, part of the army Commonwealth, so we yeah, kind of yeah. have to go to all those things. Uh,
0: you make it sound like a, a boring family commitment. Um, <laughs> it kind yeah, of no. feels like one as
3: well. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, we, we uh, are a member of the Commonwealth and... Yeah. Uh, we were involved, I, I believe, about 12,000 Australian troops um, fought in the Boer War. So, um, really, we were uh, supporting Britain and their interests there.
1: Yeah. It's a bit of a testament to how close we are to Britain. Yeah. I think even in the, yeah, they mentioned that even in one of the scenes, there's like a picture of the Queen on the wall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So like that there's could a
2: pop up sort of a thing. Yeah.
1: That could be a reflection of how important we are, like how, how our contribution was during the Vietnam War. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. So we were kind of dragged into that as well with America.
0: Yeah, and um, one of the interesting things about this film, you know, it is about the Boer War in 1902, but really it's about, I guess, the concerns um, and the anti-war sentiment that many Australians felt uh, in the 1970s. So this film came out in 1980. And I guess there was a sense in the 1970s uh, that we were fighting America's war. And this is a film about us fighting uh, Britain's war in many ways. Um, And I guess the anti-war sentiment of that era comes out in the film um, because it's sort of a condemnation of of what occurs during war. And I think, again, there was a a backlash towards Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War because uh, for a number of reasons, one, that it's America's war, but also it was very much the first televised war. Yeah. Yeah, so you had images of uh, the fighting and the conflict um, being beamed into people's homes for the first time ever. Um, So I guess that um, maybe challenged some notions about what it means to go to war.
1: Yeah, a lot of people were horrified by it. Like there's a lot of movements that happened after the war that was anti-war and um, yeah. Yeah, a
2: lot of like Vietnam veterans didn't get treated with a lot of respect when they came back because yeah. they were looked as murderers, slaughterers, yeah. etc.
0: Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right and it's. I think it's uh, interesting that out of that conflict, I mean Australia was involved in that because I guess of our alliance with the United States uh, but also at the request of the South Vietnamese government um, and it was only I think it, was, it wasn't until the mid-80s that there was sort of recognition of the troops returning um, so, you know, and people didn't accept them when they came back. Uh, and it was only, in fact, last year, um, the Vietnamese community in, uh, I want to say Sunshine. Yep, I've got it right. The Vietnamese community in Sunshine, uh, sort of uh, in league with uh, returned servicemen, created a monument to uh, recognise the uh, 521 Australian soldiers who uh, died fighting that conflict, and um, so, there's one point where a break, Morant is talking to George, the, the young boy who's sort of caught up in this conflict, and he says, uh, I'll try and do my best Edward Woodward impersonation. It's not a very good one, frankly, uh, where he says, You know, it's a new kind of war, George, a new war for a new century. I suppose this is the first time the en- enemy hasn't been in uniform. They're oh. farmers. They come from small villages and they shoot from behind uh, shoot at you from behind walls and farmhouses. Some of them are women, some of them are children, and some of them are missionaries
2: oh it 's like the in the Vietnam War when um, the I think the other side the opposition yeah. most of them were militia I think is that the yeah word? yeah
0: and it, it wasn't it was very much guerrilla warfare, so yeah. um, you're sneak attacks and you 're behind enemy lines and all of those sorts of things so those concerns, those anxieties about that war are very much reflected in this story about 1902. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I find it a very interesting film not only in terms of the story that it tells but also the society that made it as well.
1: Well, in guerrilla warfare, sometimes people aren't always dressed up in uniform. You can see this in, like, the Middle East and stuff. You don't know who you're fighting. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of innocent people get caught up in the conflict. Yeah, during the they america's dropped a lot of pesticides as well like all over the jungle area and that in turn affected crops for like years to decades and also the landmines as well that that they planted that's like still taking those out i think
0: yeah and i guess um warfare wasn't always like this you would sort of line up in different uniforms and charge at each other and you know Uh, The so-called rules of war um, certainly didn't apply during the Boer War. Um, And that's why, so in the film, the Bushveld Carboneers largely consisted of Australians and they were formed to fight the war in unconventional ways. And that was the unit that uh, George, um, Harry um, and Peter uh, were fighting in. So we've had a bit of a general talk about the story. I'd love to come back and talk about some of the characters in just a moment, but this is a bumper episode of media where we're looking at a whole range of different Australian stories. And I would like to go to a little segment uh, from a student called Wilson who has
3: just watched an Aussie movie called Razorback. A haunting presence in the outback, an ominous creature approaching with the intent to massacre the masses. That is the oversized Razorback, where it forever desires the taste of blood. Out in the middle of nowhere, small town of Gamilla awaits the beast that can destroy all in its path, in the Australian film called Razorback. The 1984 thriller film featured 6 animatronic boars and as the main character, Carl Winters played by Gregory Hansen. It was shot in Broken Hill in New South Wales with a budget of around 5.5 million Aussie dollars, most of which went to obtaining the animatronics. The director of this film was a man recognised for his use of fast cuts, tracking shots and glowing lights, Russell McCaukey. His use of fast-paced, aggressive editing style creates scary sequences throughout the film and brings flavour that wasn't normally seen in horror movies. A dusty wasteland filter, mist and flashing lights to create a sense of uneasiness and the fast editing and great use of sound build intensity with each scene. This very stylized use of his also helps hide the unrealistic look of the animatronics. Made almost a decade after Jaws, there was a large amount of comparison against the sea darling monster and the Razorback. Maybe because you take the shark from Jaws, give it tusks and legs, then set it free to eat people in the outback, well you get Razorback. Though even with the similarities, Razorback itself was still wonderful. The film begins by kicking us off right at the back and introduces the character, Jake Cullen that is played by Bill Kerr. Jake is with his grandson when suddenly they get attacked and the Razorback kidnaps his grandson. Suspected and accused of murdering the child, Jake is put on the trial, leaving him with his reputation destroyed and vowing revenge to end the life of that monster. Intense. The rest of the movie is set two years after the accident. The American wildlife reporter goes to Gumula for a short story about kangaroo killing. She runs into trouble and is killed by the razorback, with her disappearance causing her husband, Carl Winters, to look for her in the unfamiliar Australian outback. This leaks to Jake and Carl, meeting due to the events caused by the razorback. Razorback was not over very successful in the box office, and was a mile away from ever reaching Jaws. The plot is somewhat predictable, but it was still an interesting concept of fighting off Australian wildlife. There aren't a lot of films that depict people being tested against the force of Australian nature. Razorback was also generally well received by the audience, and it has won two AACTA awards in 1984. After how well Jaws was, there was a lot of spin-offs, including this film. Though it has changed a bit of what I thought Australian stories were like. Australian stories could be like others, but there are so many storytellers out there that the stories could be the same. The way director Mokki displays this film to the audience is what makes it different and interesting to watch. The way Australians portray their work is unique and make films good to watch. So, welcome back to Media.
0: Uh, that was just Wilson talking about the classic Aussie monster film Razorback, but we are here today talking about Breaker Morant. What did you guys think of the characters? So there are, I guess, three main characters in the film. Um, yeah. You've got uh, Breaker Morant, um, played by Edward Woodward. Uh, you've got um, Peter Hancock, played by Brian Brown. Um, and there's also um, George Witten, played by Lewis Fitzgerald. Uh, what did you guys think of these characters?
2: Peter Hancock played by Brian Brown. I think he's kind of portrayed in a very stereotypical way. Um, I won't say very, but he's kind of, like, kind of stereotypical. Yeah, like, there's
0: that sort of Ocker kind of Aussie character about him, right?
2: Yeah, like, before he comes into the courtroom, he's all, like, sluggishly salutes to the higher offices, and he makes, like, unknowledgeable
0: comments. Yeah, it's almost like... Um You know, Peter is a really uneducated character and he keeps, um, like, there are these outbursts in the courtroom um, where one of the witnesses is talking about how, oh, the Australian officers didn't salute, um, you know, didn't show any respect, they didn't salute people. And he's like, I reckon you didn't get too many salutes, mate. Yeah. Uh, And things like that. So those little quips.
2: Like he more does, like, more irrational sort of things, things that don't suit the time and place sort of thing. He says things that just really irrational at the time. And he's kind of depicted really rude as well. Yeah. Which I feel like it's 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 a bad sort of a stereotype on Australian.
0: What what did you think, Theo?
1: Um I think that it was a it was a big caricature of, say, Australian like people guys in their twenties, Australians in their twenties, you know, a bit outlandish, a bit able to say that like say a bit, um, a bit rude at times, and able yeah, to say like anti-authoritarian.
0: Yeah, yeah, no exactly. respect mm. uh, for those British officers trying him for the court martial. You know, court martialing Yeah, yeah. Um, I did like some of those quips though. Um, you know, there's that moment where their lawyer is first introduced to him. I really like that character. By the way, I'll come to um, him in just a moment. But just that moment where Major Thompson is introduced to him and reveals that he's a country-town solicitor who's dealt mainly with wills. Uh, and uh, Hancock is like, oh, that might come in handy. So there's that very dry, uh, sort of, I think, very Australian sense of humour.
1: Yeah, I love his character. At the start, you feel like, oh, who's this guy? It's just like he's, their death wish has been signed, basically, by like having this person yeah. representing them. And then later on, you kind of get to flesh out the character and you realise, like, what he's actually, how how he's sympathising with the other characters.
0: Yeah. um, You say you liked him at the start.
1: I mean, towards the end of the film, did you feel different? I liked the dynamic at the start, how he he progressed as a character.
0: Yeah. um, There is that, I guess, that moral ambiguity about him, though, because he does shoot the German missionary. Um, and you know, I've got. I guess I've got mixed feelings about the characters. I would like to talk about one of my favourite scenes, but I guess it's a very dark joke that comes towards the end of the film, where they hear them making the coffins over oh, the yeah. fence. Yeah, and at least
2: measure up us, measure us up first. Yeah, yeah. So that like little that. quote,
0: and then of course that's the very grim joke at the end, where they're trying to force him into the coffin and won't fit. Yep. So I guess you know, as a stereotype, um, you know, very. Anti authoritarian, a bit of a larrikin, and all of those sorts of things. Um, but I do feel sorry for him because there's a sense that he doesn't quite realise the gravity of the situation that he's involved in, particularly um, at the start. Now, I know in terms of characters, Kayleigh came out. Which character did you really identify and empathise with in the film?
4: So it would be like the youngest um, soldier. I yeah, guess. so George Witten. Yeah, George Witten, yeah. yeah. So he. It's like he's a character you can sympathize with because it's like, as a young person and we as high schoolers, it's like we only just kind of begun life. And there's this guy who's going to war and he's basically crying and terrified. Of his future and yeah. I feel like that's everyone right now
0: yeah and oh yeah it's yeah everyone is terrified for their future and when you think about uh young men going off to war um george Witten wasn't very old um and you know he was caught up in this uh this terrible war um and this terrible trial and there's that thing that his father says to him um so his father says you know the war is going to make a man of you Um, And to which Breaker Morant says, you know, everyone's father says that, George. Um, So, yeah, there's there's a sort of really heartbreaking element to that. And what I like about the character is the way he's almost the conscience for Breaker. Uh, There's that moment where he says, uh, Breaker is really vengeful because the Boers uh, murdered his uh, soon-to-be brother-in-law and friend, um, Captain Hunt. And so he captures these Boer prisoners and he's going to execute them. And that's the moment where uh, George walks up to him and says, you know, not too many of the men are keen about this, sir. Um, And later in the film as well, when he sees uh, Hancock ride off after the German missionary um, and he talks about, you know, how this is wrong. Uh, One of the gut-wrenching scenes for me in the film is that moment towards the end where he's dragged away, uh, you know, to serve his life prison sentence yeah
2: it's like he really didn't um deserve it sort of a thing like
0: oh yeah there's a sense that none of them really deserved it we'll get we'll get to (laughs) historical accuracy in just a moment um but in terms of characters uh ethan you mentioned jack thompson in the film uh who plays major um thompson what did you think of him Did did you like that character
1: yeah i liked him
0: I, I like him, and I was actually reading some stuff about this film um, a little bit earlier. Uh, there's a wonderful article uh, sort of celebrating the film by Luke Buckmaster in The Guardian. In it, he says, he's part Clarence Darrow, part Dennis Denuto from The Castle. <laughs> and I do get that sense that, yeah, I, I, I really like the character. I think there's something really noble about him, this small-town solicitor who's been picked because they hope he's incompetent. He hope They hope he's going to lose the trial. Uh, and he actually turns out to be a very good lawyer i I like that moment where he's uh interviewing um i think it's lieutenant colonel denny um and he's questioning uh hancock's decision to put prisoners in open wagons to protect the rail lines um and he asks him did it work and then there's that beat and you cut to the different people in the courtroom as they realize oh he's just walked him into this corner and then he yells did it and, yeah, so I really like that little turnaround. Now, a question for Theo. What do you reckon makes this an important Australian story? Hmm.
1: Um, it's an interesting story. But is it an important Australian story? Does it represent, um, does it represent Australia's place within the Boer War or the Vietnam War? Um, it is, like, a huge caricature of, like, what happened. And... I'm not sure if I could say that it isn't an important Australian story because it is, um, we've already gone so far from that place in, in time mm. that right now it's not as relevant. We are an independent per- like country right now and we don't have those ties and those links to war, or those links to the Commonwealth, as we did before.
0: Yeah, um, I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this a lot in the last few days, and and there's a sense that we are very much divorced from our colonial, you know, our colonial yeah. past, and it seems so. So foreign and so distant to be so reliant on that colonial power or have that such such a close relationship with them.
1: I feel like our only link to the um, to the Commonwealth or to England right now is basically the Queen's birthday.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the public holiday. Yeah. Yeah. What
1: about Megan and Harry?
0: Not 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 even okay. Uh, (laughs) Um, And when it comes to this film and its relationship with the truth. does, has anyone done a little reading about this case and this uh, actual incident?
2: I read a lot of articles, like, on the internet and stuff. Like, I didn't read them in extreme depth, but they said a lot of stuff like, oh, he was actually really guilty. And oh, the, yeah,
0: totally. Apparently, yeah. yeah. That's a bastard.
2: <laughs> it's like, you're guilty, full stop sort of a thing. Like, And the film just portrays them as these really innocent and, I don't know, Like, they didn't deserve sort of a thing, characters, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, In that article that I mentioned by Luke Buckmaster in The Guardian, um, which I really liked, he writes, the rousing finale to Break Morant is a great case study in why storytelling liberties are often placed ahead of um, fidelity to fact. If Beresford had remained true to the real story, we would never have experienced one of the greatest scenes in Australian cinema. And I want, to, I want to talk about the final scene because I think that was certainly for me the most affecting scene in the film. Um, that sort of moment where they're walking out to be executed and you've got the sun rising over the hill and they sit down on those chairs. And there's that moment where they're offered the blindfolds and they both sort of refuse. And also when they're walking out there, you know, there's, there's something that happens in this film that I don't see, you know, in terms of representations of Australian masculinity that you just don't see. There's that moment where they're walking towards the chair and they just hold hands.
1: Mm. I felt like that was so weird. I was so <laughs> yeah, you thought that, that was weird. I I
0: just think it's uh, yeah. I it's just something that you don't see, and I think it adds to the gravity of that moment, and yeah. sort of I guess the nobility of them refusing the blindfolds.
1: I just felt like it didn't have like it didn't have a, a realistic place in the movie because the movie so far has been so down to earth, and then you don't you don't think you would see two people holding hands as they go.
2: But they're, like, the, really close by now. Like, they're, yeah. they're going to die and they're going to well, die together, <laughs> I guess. But, like, they're kind of, like, embracing that fact, I guess. I think yeah. that's and what it was kind of...
0: The of. silence in that moment as well. You hear the wind out there on the veldt, and they're sitting there and the sun's coming up. Um, and his final line, uh, shoot straight your bastards and don't make a mess of it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it comes down to that sort of idea of um, us being, I guess, a little bit anti-authoritarian and things like that. Uh, were there other standout moments for you?
1: Mostly that soliciting scene that you
0: spoke about earlier yeah okay where he uh actually turns out to be a really competent lawyer in that cross-examination
1: he kind of looks around the room first i love the acting in that before he starts yelling like Mm. he's not really confident in himself
0: yeah no i did like that moment um uh, there's also small moments in the film that i like so uh the person who's prosecuting the case there's the moment where you realize that he actually develops a bit of respect for major thompson um and you know you see that expressed in very small moments um any other scenes that stood out to you guys?
2: Like, throughout the whole film, I, I don't know. I didn't find it very – I got a little bored throughout the Okay, whole
0: yeah. You know, I, I've uh, thought about developing a, a rating system for films uh, based on the number of times teenagers take out their mobile phones behind uh, the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and I was watching. I was watching. Phones came out four times and it was all in the first act. After that, I didn't see a single phone. So, I don't know if people were caught up to, up in the story. Um, I was interested to see how you would react. I think it's a, it's a good example of storytelling. It's, it's quite a powerful and affecting film. Um, yeah, there's a lot to like about this. One other scene that I like is the it's the bit where Major Thompson says, uh, you know, you're the best witness the uh, prosecution has, Harry. It's the scene where he's talking about we took them out and we shot them using Rule 303, and there's that cross-cutting between the execution of the prisoners and what's his, what he's saying. I think that's just a really nice example of editing. Uh, any other comments? Um, now, Kaylee, it won a swag of awards. Why do you think it deserved these?
4: So, for the award they received, I saw I looked up to see the awards that they received, and one of them was for their costume design. And I guess you can say that the film's kind of speaks for itself when it comes to the costume design, like you can see the quality of its representation of the Australian Army and the other categories of characters. So, even though it may seem seem very stereotypical but because it's stereotypical that people are able to kind of understand and feel like it's something that they're familiar with so they're able to engage with the story a lot yeah. more
0: Yeah, I, I do agree with the uh, production design and the costumes I think it's all uh, incredibly period specific and all of those sorts of things Yeah, yeah. I think the writing is very tight as well um, and it was based on a play so a lot of those really good lines I think come from the play
1: um, within the courtroom, there's this green kind of strip behind the characters. Okay, yeah. And for me, like doing art and stuff, I feel like I love that little just green strip that they put across <laughs> because they went in some shots it went right over right over or below their shoulder, mm. and that kind of creates a parallel line, and it's very interesting to look at. In my opinion, <laughs>
0: it is, and it's quite a Spartan set that does draw our attention to the performances of the characters there's not a great deal else to look at
1: it highlights the characters Mm. it frames them in and Yeah. yeah
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, there's a lot to say about this film. I think it's a really good example of an Australian story. Uh, if you haven't seen Breaking Moran, please check it out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Media. Remember, if you'd like to join the conversation about Breaking Moran, send us a link to your 30-second response on this Australian story to brett at lessonbucket.com, and we'd love to feature you in a future episode about Australian stories. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to you guys for coming along. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.